I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. Episode 24. Woo! Did you ever watch the show 24? With the guy and the thing counted down? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, me neither. That is literally all I know. Of the, uh, his name was Jack Bauer, right? We Jake Bauer? Jack Bauer. We come to you Bauer. from Okinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsuna Nations, the Yahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca. Uh, sources for the show today, bbc.com, cfr.org, time.com, state.gov, telegraph.co.uk, and very poorly timed 24 jokes. Um, also, I'm going to throw in there that I also looked up venezuelaforkids.com or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. <laughs> Look, all those websites are really good for just like very simply explaining complex yeah. things honestly one of the reason this is entirely off topic but one right. of the reasons i want to continue my pursuit of learning japanese mm-hmm. is so that one day i can justify getting the point of watching whatever japanese kids shows exist mm-hmm. so i can like get to that because that's one of the things they tell you about learning a language is oh yeah just like watch a kid's show or something yeah music I, videos yeah so i i would love to get to that point and that's what this made me think of well not totally relevant, just so well. I'm, I'm 0 for 2 on the day for jokes so far, so good start. I'm just going to shoot you down, boy. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, listening and downloading. We really appreciate it, um, and we hope that you enjoy this episode um, about uh, kind of how Venezuela has ended up how they are. Right, which is not great, turns out. Spoiler which alert. Which is not great, mm. yeah. Um, so... Our story begins where most places with lots of problems begin. Oil was discovered in Venezuela in the 1920s. Mm. In 1922, the Royal Dutch Shell, uh, which is a company uh, that we know as just Shell, it's a British Dutch oil and gas company that we all love and hate, (laughs) struck oil, which blew out at what was an extraordinary rate of 100,000 barrels per day in the Maracaibo Basin, which nowadays there's a ton of industry there. It's like this basin is like just filled with industrial complexes. It's in the northwest corner of Venezuela near Lake Maracaibo. Uh, in a matter of years, more than 100 foreign companies were producing oil, backed by uh, then-dictator General Juan Vicente Gomez. Uh, he was the dictator in Venezuela from 1908 to 1935. Annual production exploded during the 20s from just over a million barrels to 137 million barrels. So many barrels. <laughs> What do we, what's like the official measurement on a barrel? I was actually just thinking that, like, is each barrel <laughs> filled equally? Like, and I'm also is there, like, are there okay, a couple so... half filled barrels in there? Just like, yeah, it's the end of the day, man. Whatever. I'm also like, what's a barrel? Is that like, is it a cup? Is it 250 mils? I don't think well, so. No. What is a barrel? Okay. Anyways, official. this is like us using, there's so many things in here that are like US dollar, US dollar. And I'm like, oh, I fucking hate measuring stuff in US dollar. Because in my mind, I have to convert it to Canadian for it to make any sense. In the oil industry, an oil barrel is defined at 42 U.S. gallons, which is about 159, <laughs> which is about 159 liters okay. or 35 imperial gallons, which okay. is a unit That's of a measurement lot. that I am just learning about now. Huh. Uh, but yeah. 
That's quite a bit. Okay, so 137 million barrels. Yeah, 137 million of 159 liters. Yeah, that's a freaking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, which made Venezuela second only to the United States in total output of oil barrels, I guess, by 1929. <laughs> uh, by the time Gomez died in 1935, which is the only reason he gave up his dictatorship, uh, oil had shoved aside other sectors to account for 90% of Venezuela's exports. Well, that seems high. Mm, yeah, it seems like a lot. Uh, just a note about Gomez, he was a war general that became uh, the interim ruler of Venezuela and then just kind of stayed there as, you know, war generals that become interim rulers do. Uh, there were a few puppet presidencies while he was in power, but it was like always him. The oil boom saw him pay for or pay off all of Venezuela's uh, world debts. And then he started a role road building program uh, that the country needed but also on the flip side he used um, all of this money that he saw coming in to buy a shit ton of land uh, and outfit the military with the latest and greatest things and the military was of course headed up by people who he appointed and were his friends by the 1930s three foreign companies royal dutch shell again just shell shell gulf um, who apparently weren't in the creative name industry, <laughs> but had the more creative name than the last one, Standard Oil, <laughs> controlled 98% of the Venezuelan oil market. Successors sought to reform the oil sector to funnel funds into government holdings. The Hydrocarbons Law of 1943 was the first step in that direction, requiring foreign companies to give half of their oil profits to the state. Within five years, the government's income had increased by a shitload i i, I kind of like that rule like it's like you're just take you're sucking the life out of our land the least you can do is give us half the money for mm. it yeah that seems fair i mean <laughs> yeah in 1958, after a succession of military dictatorships, Venezuela elected its first stable democratic government. That year, the three major political parties signed the Punto Fijo Pact, which there's no way I said that right, but was also... No, it sounded pretty good. Oh, sweet. Punto uh, Fijo. ...was simply an agreement to honor election results and was Venezuela's first move toward democracy. It helped to keep oil money in the country, too, as all parties, regardless of who won the election, had stake in the oil Oil funds for their campaigns. I want to throw in here mm -hmm. that Venezuela for Kids website. Yes. I went to that to look up the Punto Fio Act. Oh, nice. Because, or fat, pact, sorry, not fact. fact. Well, it was a fact about, <laughs> it was a fact about Punto Fio. I don't want to, I didn't want to say it again because I didn't want to, you no, know, you jinx it. you did a great it, job. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was like, I don't understand what this was. Like, it was basically a contract where they were like, we're going to be cool <laughs> about it. Yeah. Venezuela joined Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia as a founding member of the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC, in 1960. In 1973, a five-month OPEC embargo on countries backing Israel in the Yom Kippur War, which I also had to look up, and it was a two-week and five-day war between Israel and the Coalition of Arab States. Uh, that very short war quadrupled oil prices and made Venezuela the country with the highest per capita income in Latin America. Two, over two years later, this war pushed the price of oil up and lasting results of it added $10 billion to state accounts, giving way to rampant mismanagement, naturally, 
Uh, analysts <laughs> estimate that as much as $100 billion was embezzled between 72 and 97 by government and oil officials in Venezuela. Well, that certainly seems like a problem. Hey, when you have too much money, what do you do? Embezzle Embezzlement, baby! In 1976, amid said oil boom, President Carlos Andre Perez nationalized the oil industry, creating state-owned... Oh, son of a... Uh, (laughs) Petroleos de Venezuela, S.A. South America. Okay. Um, Good. (laughs) PDVSA. Okay, yeah, that works too. Uh, To oversee all exploring... producing, refining, and exporting of oil. Perez allowed PDVSA, just rolls off the tongue, to partner with foreign oil companies as long as it held 60% equity in joint ventures and structured the company to run with minimal government regulation. Hmm. So we're, we're allowing other places to come in here, but like they can't just like pop in and out. You got to be like committed, basically. Totally. And uh, Venezuela has to have... 60% 60% equity. Yeah. I mean, again, you're sucking the life out of our country. Mm-hmm. Can we at least have the majority of it? Yeah. <laughs> um, And now, the problem with relying so much. What? There's a problem with relying your economy, your precious economy on oil? Well, as global oil prices plummeted in the oh, 1980s, Venez- Venezuela's economy, pardon the pun, tanked and inflation soared at the same time. It acquired foreign debt by purchasing foreign refineries. In 1989, Perez, re-elected months earlier, launched a fiscal austerity package as part of a financial bailout of the international, or, sorry, by the International Monetary Fund. The measures provoked deadly riots for eight days an estimated $120 million in damages, and looting happened, as well as 277 deaths. But the actual total is estimated at over 2,000 casualties. In 1992, Hugo Chavez, a military officer, launched a failed coup and rose to national fame. Spoiler alert! Yeah. (laughs) Hugo Chavez becomes the president in 99. (laughs) He promised, among other things, to drive down Venezuela's huge levels of inequality. And I want to just say, when I say stuff like, oh no, we didn't see an oil crash coming, I am absolutely not trying to shit on Venezuela for what has happened to them. No. Absolutely not. No. I'm making a joke because we live in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And oil. Right. Berta. Mm-hmm. Oil. Mm-hmm. Berta oil. And gas. Whoa. Chavez was elected president on a socialist platform pledging to use Venezuela's vast oil wealth to reduce poverty and inequality, while his costly Bolivarian missions expanded social services and cut poverty by 20%. He also took several steps that led to a long and steady decline in the country's oil production, which peaked in the late 90s to early 2000s. Beginning in 2005, Chavez provided subsidized oil to several countries uh, near Venezuela, including Cuba, through an alliance known as Petrocaribe. Over oh, the- that's that's a fun name. It is. It is pretty cute, hey? Yeah. <laughs> cute. <laughs> subsidized oil. Um, Sorry, I know there's like more in this paragraph. Yeah. How long do you think they take in the meetings to come up with that? Petro you know, like Caribe? that was like when we were coming up with this show, uh-huh. the name was like one of the biggest things that we discussed and totally. one of the first things that we talked about. Do you think they're like, okay, first order of business, what are we calling this? Or is it like when they're calling each other up, like, hey, I'll come, but we need a dope name first. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I feel like with, with this name, 
Mm-hmm. I think this was a fast name. Over the course of Chavez's presidency, which lasted until 2013, strategic petroleum reserves dwindled and government debt more than doubled. Not a good look. No. While he managed to reduce inequality during his time, some of the socialist policies he brought in backfired. Price controls, which were aimed at making basic goods more affordable to the poor by capping the price of flour, cooking uh, cooking oil, and toiletries. The controls meant that many Venezuelan businesses stopped production because they no longer made a profit, eventually resulting in shortage, uh, shortages. A loosening of foreign currency controls originally brought in by Chavez in 2003 has eased those shortages as traders can sell goods in dollars, but that means that they again become largely unaffordable to the poor or those without access to U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Chavez also harnessed his popularity among the working class to expand the powers of the presidency and edge the country toward authoritarianism. He ended term limits, effectively took control of the Supreme Court, uh, ended up closing some independent press outlets, and nationalized hundreds of private businesses and foreign-owned assets, uh, such as some of the oil projects run by ExxonMobil and ConocoPhillips. Uh, The reforms paved the way for a new dude, Nicolas Maduro, to establish a dictatorship after Chavez's death. It does just kind of seem like it's just like a 30-year, like, downward spiral. A hundred percent. And it's like once, like, once oil starts getting subsidized, I mean, the story is that their economy was totally reliant on it. Mm -hmm. And then once oil lost its value, so did Venezuela. Yeah. And it's really hard to get out of a tailspin like that when you've spent the last 50 years building your economy around oil right this thing that's made you literally hundreds of billions of dollars yes in embezzlement funds yes (laughs) yeah uh where were nicholas maduro was first elected in april 2013 he won by just 1.6 percentage points during his first term the economy went into a free fall as if it wasn't already right many venezuelans blame him and his socialist government for the country's decline Venezuela is the archetype of a fail, uh, failed petrostate. Oil continues to play the dominant role in the country's fortunes more than a century after it was discovered, and oil prices plunged more than 100 uh, from more than $100 per barrel in 2014 to under $30 per barrel in 2016. Sucking Venezuela into an economic and political spiral, conditions have really only worsened since then. Again, it's like what we talked about. It was in a free fall, and then it started free falling. Mm-hmm. Maduro was reelected to a second term in May of 2018 in highly controversial polls, which most opposition parties boycotted altogether. Many candidates had been barred from running, while others had been jailed or fled the country for fear of being imprisoned, and the opposition parties argued that the poll was neither free nor fair. (laughs) Which, you need at least one of those, if you're going to be a democratic place. At least. So, like, democratic socialism? I'm not really sold. Yeah. No. Yeah, it turns out neither were they. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mr. Maduro's re-election was not recognized by the opposition-controlled what? National Assembly, which labeled Mr. Maduro a usurper and argued mm. that the presidency was vacant. Citing articles in the Constitution, which in such cases calls for the leader of the National Assembly to step in, Juan Guaido? 
declared himself acting president. More than 50 countries recognized Guaido as the legitimate president, like the U.S. and many nations in Latin America, but Russia and China are ones that stood by President Maduro. This, um, sorry, this next um, selection that you're going to read, the very first thing I saw when I Googled Venezuela was a thing. So, who's the president? It's like, oh, we're going to get into some stuff on this yeah. one. Um, <laughs> great question, uh, disembodied voice. This um, doesn't necessarily have an answer. So after Guaido declared himself acting president in January 2019, Maduro did not take kindly to this move, and he has condemned it as a ploy by the U.S. to oust him, despite attempts by Guaido to get the military to switch their allegiance to him. The armed forces have remained largely loyal to Maduro, whose socialist party has also got a firm grip on the electoral body and the Supreme Court. The security forces have so far remained loyal to Mr. Maduro, who has rewarded them with frequent pay raises and put high-ranking military men in control of key posts and industries. Talks between the government and opposition held in 2019 went nowhere. Mm, nowhere. The United States has imposed sweeping sanctions on Venezuela and on Mr. Maduro and his inner circle, but they have failed to weaken him into leaving office. In January of this year, hmm. um, which is weird, we don't generally get into things that have happened now. No, we don't but, get into this. You uh, don't often have two presidents. No, yeah. <laughs> at one time in <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those. This uh, is I'm a, making a joke here because of the of the states. Yeah, yeah. No, I got that. Okay, sorry. Um, but it is one of those things in um in in sports. There's a saying. Well, if you have two goalies, you really don't have any goalies. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing here. Yeah. Where if you have two presidents, you really don't have any presidents. No, because they're just constantly like that's what it's always about. Who's yeah. the president? It's not right. Okay, well, how do we not starve in Venezuela? Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like things are going great there, so it's not like they need. Firm, stable leadership. Uh, sorry, leadership, not loadership. Um, <laughs> in January of this year, Maduro and his allies took leadership of what was the last opposition-controlled power center in the government, the National Assembly. And it's looking like he's going to keep upping his repressive tactics and will remain in power, largely due to his military power. But so also, I was looking at some stuff, and the military isn't like it is here. Like, when I think of the military, I'm like, oh, if we went to war, like, it'd be the military. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, like, always protecting our borders and, like, whatever. Right. Um, they're not just there, like, at, as this force. They're actually, like, pretty involved in the community. So, and I say that lightly because, obviously, there is corruption. Um, but they are responsible for handing out, like, rations and, like, subsidy packages. And they're historically trusted by the people more than the government is trusted so if you have if you're the government you have the military on side then that's kind of what makes you the president oh interesting historically okay it's like the people are like well the military is like you know the governing force that like helps us out that's why the government is always like appointing people to the military that they trust because they're like if we have you we have us right mm. So, yeah, I, I didn't really understand that. I was like, why is the military such a big deal? But it's because um, of their, like, community involvement. And they're just seen as, like, a trustworthy body by the people. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, so years of lack of investment in, in infrastructure due to low funds partially caused by the U.S. sanctions on Venezuela's oil sector have 
cripple this industry, which provides almost all of Venezuela's government revenue. Venezuela has been in the grip of an economic crisis for years now, with hyperinflation being one of its main problems. So goods coming in are very expensive, and basically no one can afford them, but goods going out are slapped with sanction after sanction, so its value doesn't translate in the market. Business news website Bloomberg has been tracking the price of a cup of coffee in Venezuela's capital, Caracas, to show how prices have increased. It has measured an increase of 2,597% in 12 months to uh, August 1st, with a cup of coffee now costing 7.8 million bolivares. Bolivares. Bolivares, sorry. <laughs> Which is the currency in Venezuela. Yes, um, an um, overwhelming majority of Venezuelans lack access to food and daily necessities. Surveys report that nearly nine in 10, nine in 10 Venezuelans have difficulty purchasing food. Well, that seems like a problem. That's a lot. That's, um, you know what? That's about 90%. Yeah. Uh, years of intervention, nationalization have decimated local agriculture. The vast majority of food now comes uh, from abroad and distribution is firmly in the hands of dun, dun, dun. the Maduro-aligned military. In addition to providing the food sold in price-controlled supermarkets and restaurants, the military directly distributes basic products to nearly 6 million families, or 70% of the total population. According to news reports, a good amount of this official food supply is sold on the black food market, which is a real thing. This control gives military officers and their families access to food as well as significant power and enrichment opportunities. Already, there have been reports of uneven access to the military-distributed food packages. Boy, it's just like it hits so many things mm -hmm. on a checklist of how things turn so quickly. Yeah. It's like over-invest over in one thing. That yeah. one thing shits the bed. And then mass corruption just takes over everything. Yeah. So it's like a lot of the practices, like or a lot of the, um, I guess, kind of setups that they have, like, in theory, seem like, okay, well, that makes sense. But then you see the corruption that's involved, and in actual practice, it ends up being an absolute disaster. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's also U.S. financial sanctions have <laughs> made it virtually impossible to roll over or raise new money in international markets, and Russian and Chinese loans have not covered the shortfalls. The country's crude exports, the main source of government revenue in the socialist country, fell to their lowest level in 75 years in 2019. And, hey, something super fun happened in 2020 that I'm sure didn't hinder them at all. Yeah. Jesus Christo, man. Yeah. Uh, according to figures compiled by the United Nations, more than 5.6 million Venezuelans have left the country since 2014. It currently has a population of 29 million. Uh, according to a recent survey, 96% of Venezuelans live in poverty, the highest proportion in Latin America, which like, I fucking hope so. I was just about to say that. I, I, I mean, I... The 96% the of them, I'm very sorry. Yeah. But if it was higher than that somewhere. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. One of the things that I, I read was that, like, a, a lot of those people left for, like, better jobs and stuff like that, but had to come back because those jobs went away because of gestures aggressively at the world around us. Mm-hmm. Ugh. 
Um, I wanted to just say quickly, so we've talked a lot about how, um, I mean, we've talked almost exclusively about how their economy uh, is framed around oil and gas. Um, the price of a liter of gas currently in Calgary is a buck 33, right? Uh, yes. A liter of gas in US dollars, insert my eye roll here, in Venezuela is two cents. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. So for the economy to be running off this thing um, and it to be two cents a liter isn't really conducive in my mind. No, um, no. Something doesn't seem like it's adding up there. Also, uh, Venezuela is reported to have the deadliest roads, I oh. think, in the world. I think that there's uh, 32 deaths per 100,000 drivers. Jeez. Which, like, I mean, that is a fairly small, like... No, that seems... That seems like too many. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> when I say the word 32, I'm like, oh, that's not a big number. But it's like, yeah, well, when it's people dying, it actually is quite a bit. Yep. And it's out of 100,000, like, drivers, which we just said they have 29 million people. So it's, like, really dangerous to drive there, but also super cheap. Yeah. So I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> um, I wanted to end. So, like we said, like, there is no official, like... This president, um, Guaido, is kind of who's recognized as the president, uh, but Maduro is the one who has the power. Yeah, the Guaido guy is uh, the one who is recognized as the leader by everyone but Venezuela, apparently. So, um, So a very unsatisfying ending and i wanted to end with some great things about venezuela because people do travel there mm-hmm. um they although there's only like direct flights from surrounding south american countries um but venezuelan people are regarded as warm welcoming kind uh so i wanted to just like say some nice things about venezuela sure <laughs> okay so Formed in the mouth of the Catatumbo River when cold mountain air collides with the heat of late Maracaibo, or sorry, of Lake Maracaibo, the Catatumbo lightning happens. So okay. So it's, in 2015, it was put into the Guinness Book of World Records as the most likely place on the planet to see lightning. Sometimes there are more than 100,000 lightning strikes a night. Jeez. There can be up to 28 lightning strikes in a minute. It's just That's like wicked. constantly, there's just like constantly a lightning storm. I know what I'm YouTubing after the show. How is done. cool is that? Um, and that Lake Maracaibo, we said at the top of the show, that is where the oil was first discovered. Okay. So it's like this like anomaly of a place. Right. Um, so Venezuela also doesn't have very high mountains, but it is known for uh, Tepuis, which is a very unique table like flat mountain form. Okay. So it looks, yeah, it looks just like a, <laughs> like it's like a big flat rock in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. um so that's kind of cool uh the region of venezuela was settled about fifteen thousand years ago by indigenous populations some of the indigenous population of the area are the timoto suikas the kalina and the mariche people and then i wanted to end with my most favorite thing do you know what's coming peter uh, are we getting some google reviews Re- <laughs> reviews boy <laughs> So the Caracas Sphere, which is very hard to say, yeah, um, by Jesus Soto, um, also known as the Soto Sphere, 
uh, is in the capital city of Caracas. I would highly recommend you look up a picture of it. It's beautiful. It has a 4.7 out of 5 star review out of 668 reviews on Google Reviews. And my absolute favorite review of it comes from Lita Gomez, who gave it 4 out of 5 stars. Her review of the Sotosphere. Super. (laughs) (laughs) A super Sotosphere. Why did that make me laugh so hard? Like all these people have super long, like this is so beautiful. You should go here. And then Lita's like, you know what? Straight to the point. Right. Yeah. Dope. Great. (laughs) If I could have given this less words, I would have. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm happy we ended on a positive note. Um, Because, yeah, it does seem like it's an incredibly beautiful area. Mm -hmm. And at one time was a very prosperous area. And it's just one thing after another. And again, it's one of those things where the people living there did nothing wrong. Right. You know? The people of Venezuela largely have done nothing wrong. Right. It's just the people in power who have kind of let greed take over, it feels like. Yeah, and there was just no plan Mm -hmm. he was like we're gonna ride this oil train and it's never gonna stop yeah and then somehow it stopped right some inconceivable how so anyways i don't know if there's like any lessons to take out of that from an alberta standpoint but thank you for listening yes you can email us we had no idea podcast at gmail.com mm-hmm why did I forget how emails were structured? <laughs> at Gmail. At gmail.com. At googledoomail.com. <laughs> Drop the Google Do. <laughs> uh, you can also follow us on Instagram or message us on there. We are at We Had No Idea Podcast. Of course, uh, like, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It helps us and makes us feel just peachy. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're going back to Old Reliable as we're doing another uh, Landmarks episode. That's no fair. I just gave a free preview. Oh, did you? I just covered the Sotosphere. Oh. That means I get to do one less next week, right? Well, yeah. Your incredible <laughs> description of super really super. Uh, really covered it there, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we will be doing Landmarks 2.0 <laughs> tomorrow. Maybe you'll even... Tomorrow? Come, or sorry, next week. Like, wow. <laughs> Maybe you'll even cover how the Statue of Liberty's base is actually about the same height as the Statue of Liberty. Whatever, man. Build a base in time. <laughs> Whatever, man. Fuck the police. <laughs> that's not remotely what I was saying. <laughs> I mean, okay. hmm, but th- that's not what I was saying. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for listening, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Or tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> If you listen to this again tomorrow, we'll talk to you tomorrow. (laughs) I'll talk to you any day you want. You just press play. (laughs) Bye. Bye.